If you uh, have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Let us open our time with a word of prayer. Our Father, in Christ's name we come. We are thankful for your word and for your Holy Spirit and for your people and for everyone here assembled. Uh, Dear God, uh, by your word this morning, would you sanctify us, make us more like Jesus, teach us, rebuke us, correct us, train us in righteousness, and equip us to be useful to you for every good work you have prepared in advance for us to do. Pray that our hearts would be uh, changed and transformed that our minds would be inspired by your spirit, and that all who are here today would leave trusting in Jesus, believing in him, and walking with him fervently. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, As you know, we are in this series, The Name of the Lord, from the Uh, the book of Exodus, and we want to speak about the gospel according to uh, Exodus, because the Bible is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this morning I want us to read these, um, uh, the first 12 verses, and we'll talk about it a little bit. I want to talk to you today, as you may see in your bulletin, um, about how the Lord summons uh, his servants And um, there are certain things in this passage that we are called to behold, uh, to behold the Lord and to be humbled, to behold the love, obviously the love of the Lord, and be hopeful, and to behold the labor that God calls us to, and to be helpful. Uh, Let's hear God's word, Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jephro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I, here here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, 
the Havites and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. We want to look at this calling of Moses in four parts, hopefully, and this is the first part, and the, the, the trajectory where, where God is, is aiming, his goal is seen in the 12th verse, that he wants his people to be serving him on this particular mountain, Mount Horeb, which we find later on in Exodus is the same Mount, Mount Sinai, where God, God meets him. And Horeb is a, is a word that means wilderness. And uh, God often meets with his people in a wilderness, in a place where there really is no resources, or very few resources, calling his people to depend on him and trust in him. But God calls his people to serve him, that's the objective of this particular passage. It's God wants a people who will serve him. You know, someone one time said that we don't mind being servants until somebody treats us like one. Someone tells you, hey, take the trash out. I remember one time long ago, not so long ago, my wife told me, Brian, take the trash out. She forgot to say please. <laughs> and um, I was reading, and I didn't really want to take the trash out at that moment. I was busy. Then by the grace of God, the Spirit of God spoke to my heart, not audibly, but just reminded me of something in the Word. Uh, Brian, you're the husband. You're a picture of Jesus. She's a picture of the church. She just prayed that you take the trash out. <laughs> Brother, do you remember when you asked Jesus to take the sin out of your heart? Did he wait for you to say please? And so I got up out of the chair and put my book down and I took the trash out of the whole house. <laughs> Got the laundry and took it down to the, the washer and dryer. I was ready to clean the whole house. Having taken time about how Christ came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that's, that's got to be our, our, our posture towards God and towards His people and towards the needs that we encounter, is that we are here to serve. Uh, but, but serving obviously takes a particular attitude. Uh, it takes an attitude of, 
of humility. And it takes a heart full of hope. Uh, We need hope to serve. We need to know that our service is going someplace. It's having an impact. And we also need an attitude of humility. And that's where we begin. Behold the Lord and and be humbled. Um, Humility, uh, someone once said, is, is a matter of seeing God and seeing um, what he's done through Christ Jesus and also seeing ourselves truthfully. When we see ourselves in our sinful state and we see what Christ has done and we see who God is in his holiness, he's holy, holy, holy. He is without sin, he's perfectly righteous, there's no darkness, he is light. He's good and he's upright. There's no wickedness in him at all. And yet he he wants a relationship with us. That's something that humbles us if we look at it clearly and correctly. Because we don't deserve God. God does not really need us. He was perfectly fine before we got here. God did not create because he was lonely. He wasn't bored and needed something to do, he did it for his glory, for his majesty, for his praise, and, um, and that is something that should bring us uh, a humility. Uh, we find Moses in the beginning of this passage, uh, he's probably around 80 years old at this point. Uh, remember, he left Egypt when he was 40 years old, and he returns to Egypt when he's 80 years old. And so he's been acting as a shepherd for probably 40 years to his father-in-law. Now Moses, having been schooled in Egypt and all of the education of Egypt and all of the culture of Egypt, um, to be a shepherd uh, was a, a humbling thing for him to do. In Genesis 46, 34, it says, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, but we and our fathers, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Egyptians just didn't like shepherds for for whatever reason. They just looked down on them. And for Moses, who grew up in that culture and was educated in that system, to now be embracing that job he learned some humility, apparently. And Moses leads his flock to um, uh, the, the wilderness, this uninhabitable region, and he, he meets God. You know, when God first created the world, uh, the Bible says that the world was without form and empty. It was uninhabitable. It was not fit for, for living. But then God spoke. And everything changed. And it's interesting how Moses is found in a wilderness, and uh, Horeb means wilderness, and there's an emphasis here on wilderness. And there's no habitation, there's no life really there, there's no real profound resources there. But the angel of the Lord shows up in a bush. Um, 
the angel of the Lord is, is a reference to God Himself. It's a, it's a Christophany or Theophany. It's, a, it's Christ before the Incarnation. There's many uh, in the Bible that says an angel, an angel of the Lord or an angel from the Lord, but the angel of the Lord is a reference to Christ Himself. And you see that, that's in verse 2, but in verse 4 it says God is the one who spoke to Him. And so this angel is, is God in an angelic form. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Now, the last time we, we saw angels and, um, and fire, or the first time we saw that, was when Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden. And there were angels, and there was fire, a flaming sword guarding the way, a big keep-out sign, if you will, guarding the way to the tree of life. Couldn't get back in. And the next time we see angels associated with fire, it's, it's fire and, and brimstone. It's Sodom and Gomorrah. God is bringing trouble to a nation that has rejected His, his mercy. And, uh, but this time we see the angel of the Lord in the flame of fire in the midst of a bush. And and we, we've read the passage, we see that God is up to something great and grand. He's up to something merciful and loving and compassionate. He's up to keeping His covenant and His promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's up to a, a rescue mission. Uh, the last time that the angel of the Lord uh, spoke to someone uh, in, in relation to uh, um, a bush, was, was long ago in the days of Abraham. You may recall the story how Abraham took his son Isaac up to the Mount of Moriah. Here Moses is at the Mount of Horeb, but Abraham was at Mount Moriah, and Isaac said, well, 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 my father, we have the fire, we have the wood, but where is the lamb? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb. And uh, Abraham was wise not to let his son know exactly what he was going to do when he was getting going up there, because I'm sure Isaac at this point probably could outrun his father. Um, but, but you see in that story not only faith in Abraham, but faith in Isaac when the moment came that he willingly allowed his father to strap him down and get ready to sacrifice him. Both of them exercised faith. But then as you remember, when it was about to go down, the angel of the Lord cried out, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Because what God was communicating from the bush, the thicket, a thicket is a bush. What God was communicating, and it's interesting to notice that the word for bush there uh, in the Septuagint as well as in the Hebrew is in the same semantic domain as the word bush in this passage. And, and what God was communicating in that bush back then is that there is a substitutionary, sacrificial offering that's going to bring us back to life again. Because Isaac, it says in the book of Hebrews, was, it was as if he received him back from the dead. Because God had a plan to give life to His people. And we see the same kind of message being brought here in this particular bush. That the angel of the Lord is speaking 
And he's speaking words of covenant love and covenant life and covenant devotion to Moses. Not only that, but you see the angel here is speaking Moses' name uh, twice. And that means something. You know, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He owns the sheep. He cares for the sheep. He knows the sheep. And we see the same thing here going on. But, but, but the angel says, Moses, Moses. We see in the Bible that this doubling of the name is not simply to get someone's attention, but it's a way in which God affirms His covenant devotion for someone. Abraham, Abraham. Jacob, Jacob. In both instances, it was an affirmation, I'm going to multiply you, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make a nation of you with respect to Jacob. God says, I'm going to go down myself with you to Egypt. And I'm going to bring you back out of Egypt. And then you see Moses, Moses, we'll get to that in a minute. And then later on, when, Egypt, when, when Israel messes up badly, the Lord doubles his own name. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. You see, as the Old Testament develops, how God calls his people, Ariel, Ariel, referring to Jerusalem, and pronounces his his covenant love to them, even though they're going to be disciplined. And in the New Testament, Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem! How often I would have gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. Martha, Martha, you just need to listen to me. Simon, Simon, I'm going to pray for you. Though Satan has sifted you like wheat. You see... Jesus on Calvary saying, my God, my God. Because he's the one who has borne the guilt of his people. Saul, Saul. Because he sympathizes with his people's persecution. And sadly, in the end, there will be many, Jesus say, who say, Lord, Lord. Claiming covenant devotion. And Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Because they were not willing to serve the Lord. So Moses' name is doubled here because God is making a covenant affirmation to him, not simply getting his attention. And we find that something happens to the wilderness when, when God shows up. You know, um, it is said of the president, no matter what you might think of him, um, whenever the president steps on an airplane, it becomes Air Force One. Or it can just be a one propeller, three wheel, two seater, but if the president's on board, it's now Air Force One. Isn't that right? And, and it's, it's, it's something similar here that, that though this is a wilderness, though this is an uninhabitable land because God showed up, something happened to the land. 
Moses, Moses, don't come any closer. Stay right there. Take the shoes off your feet because this is now not simply a wilderness. This is holy ground. And when God shows up, something happens to the place. Something happens to the place where He's dwelling. You are a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, and that means the Spirit of God is living inside of you. And since He's come inside of you, you're now holy ground. There's something different about you because God has come on board. God is living inside of you. And you've become holy ground. You've become the place from which He serves. You've become His headquarters on earth. He's got a headquarters in heaven, but you're His headquarters on earth. And because God is here, because God is speaking, not from a burning bush, but from His Word. Because God speaks in and by the Scripture, it's holy ground where you're standing, where you're sitting. And, and, and God says this to Moses, that He's standing on holy ground, and God announces who He is, that He's the God of His Father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and Moses hides his face because he's afraid to look at God. You know, when, when God showed up in Eden, Adam hid, and Eve hid, because they were naked. They were exposed. They knew they sinned. They knew they were not worthy. Like John the Baptist said, there's someone coming after me. John the Baptizer, he wasn't Baptist. You know that, right? But John said, there's someone coming after me who's greater than I am. And the, the, the shoes on his feet, the sandals on his feet, I'm not worthy to untie them. I'm not worthy to carry them. Now you know that that was the lowest of the lowest job of a slave was to carry the shoes of someone. And John says, I'm not worthy to even touch his sandals. That's how holy he is. That's how great he is. God shows up, you see people hiding all kinds of ways, and Moses hid his face because he was afraid. He knew he was not worthy. That gives some kind of reason why he says, who am I? Who am I to go? Because he knew he was not worthy. And it's that kind of humility. Like John said, he's got to increase, I've got to decrease. It's that type of humility that God wants to use and God can use. God resists the proud, right? He gives grace to the humble. He stiff arms the proud. God give us grace to not be proud and arrogant. God can't use that. The only way God uses pride is as an example of what not to be. Pride goes before a fall, and when the fall happens, God says, look at that. Don't go that way. Um, but, but Moses hides his face. And it's interesting when you contrast Moses' his, 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 his face, his hiding his face, uh, there's a point at which in, in, in the Pentateuch where God says of Moses, with respect to his humility, with respect to his meekness, he's the meekest man on earth, and he says to Moses' sister, 
why, why weren't you afraid to speak a word against my servant Moses? He says to Miriam, you should have been scared to say something about him negatively. And she becomes a leper. And because he says Moses is not like the rest of the prophets. He's special. I speak to him face to face. I speak to him mouth to mouth, God says. We have a tight relationship. There's no prophet in the Old Testament like Moses. He's special. But then John comes along and he's greater than Moses. And, uh, and, and you, 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 you think about Moses thinking about his own unworthiness. And then you think about the people he came to serve. And at one point later on in the story in Exodus 32, the people fall on their face morally and they bow down and worship a golden image. And God is ready to kill everybody and start it all over with Moses. And Moses goes up and pleads with God and he says, God, show me your glory. Here he's hiding his face, but then he says, show me your face. I've got to see something better than what I just looked at. I've got to know you're still favorable. He learned something about God along the way. And here he's hiding his face. He's afraid. He's humble. And um, he's waiting for the Lord um, to speak. And then, and then uh, this, this comes to us. And, you know, when you think about this particular passage, do you think about yourself being holy ground, being in a holy place because God, the Holy One, has come and inhabited you? Does that humble you? Does that bring you to your knees to the point where it's like, why on earth would God decide to live inside of this temple? Doesn't he know where this temple has been? Doesn't he know what this temple has done? Doesn't he know what's been happening in this temple? But God is here. It should humble us that God wants to still live inside of us after the things we've done. But he still says, I'm here to stay. That should be something that brings tears. That should be something that brings you to your knees. It should be something that, that makes us humble. When Moses was on the mountain, it says he was trembling in fear at the presence of God when he was standing there at Sinai. Because he knew who he was. And he's seeing who God is. And he realizes he has no business in God's presence. He's holy. He's holy. He's holy. Isaiah the prophet saw the vision and said, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, dwelling among a people of unclean lips. But when he confessed his sin, when he confessed his faults, the angel said, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is atoned for. Your sin has been removed. And when he hears that message of the gospel, when God says, who's going to go for us? Here am I. I will go. Isaiah says. It touched my lips. My sins atoned for. I'll go. I'll say something. 
God, what happened to me? Same as the woman at the well. Come, see a man. Told me everything I ever did. Moses comes to learn that this holy God is not a God necessarily to hide from. Because we see this God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we behold His glory. We behold His majesty in Jesus. Jesus is someone who helps us face God. We can face God face to face because of Jesus. Jesus said, I'll wash you. I'll clothe you. Give me your hand. I'll take you there. That's what Jesus says to those who confess their unworthiness. Jesus says, come take my hand. I'm the man, Jesus says. I'll take you in. And you'll stay there because of me. That's what Jesus said. And not only is Moses' humility brought out here, but you see here, uh, the, the, we're called to behold. You notice in the first nine verses, the, there's some variable or some word in relation to see or look or behold ten times. Moses see, he was looking. God saw that he, see, that he came to see. And there's, there's ten ways that, there's, that the, the verb of seeing is, is seen. Um, Hence, behold, behold, behold. There's something God's trying to get our attention on. God is in a bush, and the bush isn't burning. He's not consuming His creation. He's not destroying His world. But He's dwelling in the midst of it, and the bush still has got flowers on it. And Then God calls us to hope. In verse 7, there's, there's ten Ways, you see in verse 7, that God says He's going to do something that is loving. I have surely seen. He didn't take His eyes off it. I have heard. I know. I have come down to deliver out of Egypt, to bring up out of that land, to bring to a good and broad land. I behold, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come up to me. And I have seen their oppression. And then God says, I will send you. And I will be with you. God's love for us is seen in this passage ten times. You know, the way God, you know, God did not have, um, well, Moses did not have, because he wrote this, he did not have Microsoft Office. He didn't have italicized and underlining and bold and all of those things. And the way God made a point with his people, one of the ways he did that was by repetition. He repeated himself over and over again. He, he ramped it up. He kept talking about what he was going to do, what he, was, what he had seen, what he had heard, what he knows. And so he makes his point through repetition. That's the way God underlines things as he repeats himself. And, and this, this message from God about how God is, as we said last week, he's all over what is going on with his people in Egypt. That message itself should fill the heart with hope. 
that we are not alone in our struggle, we are not alone in our sin, we are not alone in our sufferings, we are not alone in our oppression, we are not alone when people treat us unjustly, we are not alone, God is all over it, He sees it, He hears it, He knows it, He feels it, He's already en route, and uh, He's on His way, but the way God is on our way. He hears our cry. We've got to pray. We talked about that last week a little bit. Call to prayer. You know, there was another time, this, this crying. He heard the cry of his people. You know, when, when God, when Abel was killed, was treated unjustly, what did God say to Cain? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me. When, when, when Sodom and Gomorrah were oppressing people because that's what they did. Uh, the outcry against Sodom has come up to me. And then, then ultimately we see Jesus crying out on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His cry came up to him and that blood of Jesus speaks the word forgiveness over our life and cleansing over our life. God sees his people crying out to him sees Israel crying out to him. Look at verse 9. And now, behold, he's telling you, he's telling Moses, he's telling, uh, behold, give your attention to something. The cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I also have seen their oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh. And so when God tells his people to behold, what he's beholding it's because he wants us to have the heart that he has. He's saying, I want you to see something. I want you to focus on injustice that's taking place in Egypt. And I want you to see it so that your heart would be moved. Like my heart is moved, Moses. Because after all, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. And Moses, uh, in his response, is, um, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh. He's 80 years old, remember. Um, Egypt is a big place. Pharaoh is a, is a, got an army. Moses is out there with a bunch of sheep and a stick. And, uh, but who am I that I should go? And often that's the case, isn't it, that God calls us to go when we have nothing to offer because God is going to do something. God is about making a name for himself. That's what this, that's what this book teaches us in chapter 9 when, when, when God says uh, with respect to, um, uh, to Pharaoh, Pharaoh has been using the people of Egypt to make a name for himself and God comes right behind that and says, wait a minute, Pharaoh, that's not really what's going on. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people and cut you off from the earth. But for this purpose, I've raised you up, Pharaoh. That I might show you my power so that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. When God pulls the curtain back on Pharaoh and says, let's look at what's really going on here. You're making a name for yourself, you think, but I'm making a name for myself through you. God is, is, is a God who does not need anything from us but I will go. Just like with Mary. All he needed her to say is, Behold the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me as you have said. If God says it, it's going to happen. 
And so Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Because Moses has an understanding of the, of the, of the greatness of, of, of God. He has an understanding of the tragedy of the slavery. He has an understanding of the, the power of, of Egypt and, and his own weakness. And, and he doesn't seem like he's adequate and fit. And he isn't adequate and he isn't fit. The Bible teaches us very clearly that there's no competency or sufficiency that we have in ourselves. Our sufficiency comes from God. He's the one who makes us competent to be his ministers. And uh, he also realizes the children of Israel. The last time he was there and tried to help, they thrust him aside. Who made you a judge and a prince over us? They didn't want him. He had to deal with rejection from the very people he came to serve. And in that he's like Jesus. He came to a world that he made and they didn't know him. He came to his people and they didn't receive him. They didn't want him. And oftentimes when we're called to serve, it's a thankless job. People complain, they murmur, they grumble. Have you ever experienced that before? Of course not. Um... Of course you have. You experience it with your children. You experience it with other people's children. You experience it with, with grown people. They don't have to be children. Grown people, sometimes they, they don't appreciate anything. That's right. And, and we're called to serve. But, the, but our fixation must be on Jesus. He came to serve enemies. He came to serve sinners. He came to serve ungodly he came to serve us. We heard it already today in the service that before we were even born, Jesus knew all of our sin, all of our wickedness, everything that we would do. He still got up on a cross and died on our behalf. Thank God that it wasn't us who had to go to Calvary. Because none of us would have went. As soon as somebody grumbled, I'd be like, all right, that's it, I'm out. Gabriel, send my chariot down, I'm going back up. But there's something different about God. God is love. His nature is love. God is gracious. He's merciful. And God has a heart for his lost people, his suffering people, and he says, I want you to look at them, I want you to behold them, I want you to see them, I want you to see people in this world, and I want you to get a heart for them. I want your heart to break like my heart breaks, God says. Remember the Good Samaritan? The Levi and the, fair, the priest, they, walked, they, looked, they looked and turned away quickly and went the other way. They didn't want to fill their vision with that. But the Samaritan came and looked at him. He saw where he was. And he looked at him as if that was himself. And he said, let me do something about that. When God looked at his people wallowing in their blood, he looked at them. He beheld them. God calls us to behold. He calls Moses to behold. Because ultimately, our Bible teaches us very clearly, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? And the Bible says, Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than you ask or possibly imagine according to his power at work within you. It's the only uh, God our Savior. And so, so, so God is able to work through us. God, uh, my, my, 
you know, one of the verses I think about often when I, before I get up to preach is that God spoke through Balaam's donkey. And if God can do that with a donkey, maybe there's something He can do with me. And so don't ever look down on your situation and your circumstances about who am I? Yes, Moses, you are nobody in terms of your abilities and your, your, your self-manufactured resources. But the, but the answer that God gives him is that, Moses, I will be with you. The Lord himself will be with you. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, remember those stories, Moses. Remember what I did with them. That's the point. Abraham was 100 years old. He had a foot on a banana peel and a foot in a grave. He had a barren wife with a dead womb. But I showed up, Moses, and I gave him a baby. And you're a product of that union and a product of Isaac. I'm with you. I'm losing my voice. I've got to end. And then you think about Isaac and how God brought him back from the dead and how he was saved. The knife was up in the air, coming down. And but God came in and rescued. Moses, I am with you. I know Pharaoh's got a knife. I know he's got a sword. But I'm with you. And Jacob, you know how I went down with Jacob. He was almost, his brother had a hit out on him. He was going to kill him. And he was a deceiver, but he wrestled with the angel. He wrestled in prayer. And the angel said, let me go. He said, I can't till you bless me. He says, your name, what is it? It's Jacob. I'm a deceiver. No, it's Israel. You're a nation. That if, if my people, if Moses, you pray, you trust in me, you cry out to me, I am with you. And here's the proof that you'll bring the people back and they'll serve me on this mountain. And the mountain, you can't think about the mountain without thinking about what happened at the mountain and what happened at the mountain is God gave the law at the mountain and that they're going to serve me a certain way. But the mountain came after the blood. They got out through the gospel. Then God brought them to a mountain and said, this is how you respond to what just happened in Egypt. You got out by the blood of the lamb and the blood of the lamb teaches you to say, how can I say thank you to the one who brought me out? And so it's the same thing with us. How can we be of service to the one who has brought us out? And that's what, Moses is, that's what Moses was looking for when he was down in Egypt. I'm looking for a time when we're going to be back at that mountain where I saw the angel of the Lord. Now, though I hid my face, he commissioned me because of his own love, because of his own heart. He called me to have his heart and go forward with him. Because God is going to be glorified in this world. Whether we are part of it or not, He's going to be glorified. The question is, are we going to be with Him in it? Are we going to be with Him in it? Let's pray. Let's look to God in prayer. Our Father, in Christ's name, we thank You so much that You, you appeared uh, to Moses. And even greater than that, You appeared in a manger. And then you got up on a cross. And then you appeared out of an empty tomb. All to say that it's all fully paid for. I'm yours and you're mine.
Father, thank you for living inside of us by the power of your Spirit, giving us a brand new heart. God, I pray that our hearts would be stirred by the noble theme of the gospel, that we would see what you've done at Calvary for us, what service you rendered for our salvation, and our hearts would be moved in this world by the struggles and troubles we see in the body of Christ as well as in the world. And we would be ready to say, here I am, send me. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.